welcome to episode 10 of the So Video Games podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, anything in between. If we are playing it, we are going to be talking about it. And like I said, we're episode 10. We're in the double digits now, people. We're getting up there. Uh, today, I uh, we're recording on December 11th, 2016. My name is Corey Motley. I am a staff writer at GameCritics.com, and I am 50% of the hosting duties for the show. With me, as always, is the editor of GameCritics.com, Brad Galloway. Brad, how are you? Doing good, sir. Doing good. Good to hear. Um, Well, we're going to start off, we always do a little bit of banter that's not necessarily game-related at the top of the show. So, uh, Brad, I know you've been busy over the weekend. Uh, Tell me what's going on. Yeah, man, I kind of was thinking I was going to spend the whole weekend getting caught up on uh, playing some game and doing some reviewing, uh, but that did not turn out to be the case. Instead, uh, the family and I kind of took a last-minute trip down to Portland. Uh, Being in Seattle, where I usually live, Portland, Oregon, is only about three and a half hours away, give or take, depending on traffic. Uh, My wife's grandmother is in a nursing home down there, and she's kind of doing poorly, so we felt like we would uh, go down there. I mean, it's not like she's like, at death's door but everybody kind of knows you know it's it's kind of getting close to that time so if we had an opportunity for a visit we didn't want to pass it up so we did that instead it was basically okay except for our luck was uh kind of bad because this ended up being like the weekend that we had a really intense winter storm i'm sure people in the midwest and the east coast will be kind of laughing at what we would consider a winter storm out here on the west coast but winters are really mild out here and even if you just get a little bit of snow or a little bit of ice, it can really fuck things up because we're not used to it. The cities are not generally prepared for it, and our responses to it are really bad. So, of course, we picked the weekend that was like the winter storm. It was hell getting out of Seattle. We had snow like that morning, uh, so that was really kind of shitty because our cars are not great in the snow. We got to Portland, and the entire city was covered in like a sheet of ice, like literally like icicles hanging off of cars. Doors not able to be opened because there was too much ice on top of the door. Like you couldn't break through the ice to get inside the car. It was it was bad. And of course, that sucked because when we go to Portland, we usually like to, you know, try a new restaurant or maybe, you know, get a little bit of fun. I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of a sad event to see grandma, but we try to make it not totally sad. And, to you know, I don't want my son to just think like every time he goes to Portland, it's a sad reason. Right. So it just put a real kibosh on everything. It was cold. It was wet. It was miserable. It was just really, really shitty. So, um, yeah, not the best weekend uh, all around. But, hey, I'm back, and I'm recording now, and it's good to be back in the groove. Uh, what, what do you got on banter uh, on your end, sir? Well, uh, I don't even really know how to follow up, like, your, like, depressing intro into the So Video Games show this week. <laughs> uh, sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. Um, I, uh, well, on my end, I guess... Um, I don't have a whole lot to say. I don't. I didn't do a whole lot this week, but I will say, um, I, I guess I'll just continue our trend of talking about movies for banter occasionally, um, and not only movies, but Amy Adams movies because I went and saw a new movie called Nocturnal Animals that opened on it. It wide released on Friday, but I think it's been out in major cities for like a week or two um already oh yeah i saw a poster for that i didn't even recognize her she's looked totally different that movie yeah she uh she's all like super like part of her role in the movie is she's very like posh and like 
rich and she's like owns this art gallery so she's always like made up and has a lot of makeup on and everything and i know we talked about arrival a couple weeks ago it's like the exact opposite of arrival because in arrival she's like she's kind of like a like a no makeup like working hard like out in the field kind of woman totally and and, yeah and in nocturnal animals she's like I feel bad because she's an amazing actress and she's amazing and she's also amazing in Nocturnal Animals, but she spends a lot of the movie just like sitting around reading, which sounds odd, but the point of the movie is uh, it's kind of like a thriller, a little bit of a psychological thriller where she... Um, like I said, she owns a gallery and she lives with her current husband and they're very like rich and kind of famous, but it's kind of like the rich and famous where you can tell like they're not really that rich. They just like want everybody to think they are because he's like a lawyer or something. And her ex-husband is Jake Gyllenhaal, uh, plays uh, her ex-husband. And uh, they've been split up for sev- for a couple years or something. And he was a writer and he sends her a manuscript for a book that he's going to be publishing soon called Nocturnal Animals. And uh, basically like half the movie is about her life and about her reading the book and it's like some flashbacks about her and Jake Gyllenhaal and then the other half of the movie is like literally the book itself like as she reads it it shows it on the screen like half the movie is like actually the content of the book and because she's reading the book and she's kind of filling out the details the fine details of the book in her life uh Jake Gyllenhaal plays the main character of the book because she just kind of um like puts him in that role because she's familiar with him and because he wrote the book and um it was really, really good. It's tough, totally one of those, like, not-for-everyone movies because it's kind of weird, and it's not like a... I mean, it's not like a big blockbuster, and it doesn't have, uh, you know, a nice little tied-on-a-bow, you know, plot that, you know, wraps everything up. Um, it's kind of one of those movies where you have to, like, sit around and unpack it for a while and think about it and kind of think about, like, the deeper themes and everything of it. Um but it was awesome, and it's only Tom Ford directed it, and it's only his second movie. And when I say Tom Ford, I mean like the fashion designer who worked at Gucci. Who yeah, was, I was just going to ask you, was this was his movie? I heard about this, right? Because people were thinking, oh, Tom Ford, fashion guy, he's rich, whatever. He's making like a vanity film, but apparently he he does a pretty good job as director. Yeah, and not only director, but he wrote the screenplay for it as well. I mean, the screenplay is based on a book, so it's adapted. But he wrote the screenplay and he directed it. And the first movie he directed, which I think is called A Single Man. Uh, I think it was Colin Firth plays the lead role. Yeah, in that's it. right. That's right. And, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. and and he was nominated for an Oscar for it. Like Tom Ford's first movie, like his leading man was nominated for an Oscar. So that's like a pretty big deal for your first, you know, directorial debut ever. And then uh, Nocturnal Animals is only a second movie, and it has like a an all star cast. Like Amy Adams is in the lead role. Jake Gyllenhaal, Michael Shannon is in it, and. Uh, Army Hammer from uh, The Social Network is in it, and it's just, like, a bunch of really good people. Like, I don't know how he got such an amazing cast for his second... I mean, he's Tom Ford, so it's not like he's some... That, that helps. Yeah. I'm sure that helps, yes. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, it was really good, so if the way I'm describing it, listeners, or you, Brad, if it sounds like it's up your alley, I thought it was amazing. Um, so, yeah, that's, right on. that's my banter, I think. Right on. Um, well, uh, let's talk about video games now. Uh, we've wasted several minutes on banter, so uh, let's get down to the nitty-gritty. Uh, Brad, why don't you tell me what you've been playing? Right on, man. Uh, so, The Last Guardian is what I've been playing. Uh, the famous or infamous, depending on your perspective title, uh, developed by Fumito Ueda, and his house is called Gen Design, published by Sony. 
uh, actually released just this month, December 2016. I think it just came out like last week, if I remember correctly. Um, but it's got an interesting history, and I'm sure that most people who would listen to our show probably already know the history. But just in case you don't, uh, so Ueda is the guy who made Eco and Shadow of the Colossus. Um, those are, are very well-known titles, very uh, well-received critically, uh, fairly seminal in terms of some of their uh, issues and themes and some of the way that they tackle gameplay. So after those two met with uh, a really warm welcome, uh, he started working on The Last Guardian. Now, according to sources, he started started development 2007. Now, what what year is it? It's 2016. That's right. So he started development in 2007. The game wasn't even announced until 2009. I believe he made like an E3 announcement, I think. Regardless, um, he announced it like seven years ago. Been working on it for about nine years. Uh, and who knows, you know, so I mean, we're basically talking about 10 years from the start of this project until now. And in the interim, I mean, people thought for sure that it was dead, that it had become vaporware, that it had just uh, fallen apart, they lost funding, or he just didn't have the inspiration or whatever. There was all these reasons, all this talk, all this chatter, and people kept thinking that this game was gone and that we would never see it. And Ueda himself wasn't saying a lot, but you know, there were whispers, um, I think I've mentioned this before, but there were whispers here and there. Like I would hear in my critical circles or I would hear from people who would say, oh, you know, don't share this. But and they would say, oh, you know, oh, I went to E3 and at Sony's booth behind the scenes, there was there was a new clip or, oh, I went to a party and someone had a piece that was running on their build. And like I would hear about it. So like I, I knew it was still going on, not for a fact, but I had a feeling. And I think a lot of other people in the industry had that same feeling where. It's not totally gone. And then, of course, they made the final, final announcement at E3 last year. Magical moment. They said it was for real. People still doubted. But you know what? It came out. It's on a disc. It's here in my house. I've played it. It's real. And I've put about two or three hours into it so far. Um, so before we go into this particular game, um, Corey, I just want to ask you really quickly. Are you familiar uh, with Eco Shadow of the Colossus? Or have you played... Last Guardian, by any chance? What's your What's your history with this series, this guy, this development? Uh, my history is pretty short and simple. Um, I have definitely heard of both games because, uh, I mean, like you said, pretty much anyone in the game sphere at least has heard about them. I never played Eco, but whenever the um, HD collection came out for that and Shadow of the Colossus packaged together on PlayStation 3, I played some of Shadow of the Colossus... I did not play any of Eco, and I thought Shadow of the Colossus was really boring and repetitive, so I stopped about, I don't know, maybe like 25 to 30% of the way through, and I uh, never tried Eco, so that's my little um, history with the series, I guess, and the developer. Okay, cool, cool. Okay, as for me, um, I played Eco when it first came out, and I loved it, and then I played Shadow of the Colossus when that came out. I loved most of it. I didn't quite think it held together in some ways as well as Eco did. And in some other ways, I thought it was better. I mean, I still think it's a great game. I still like it, but I don't quite love it. And I don't quite see it as like the superior work the way that most people may say. So I'm definitely a fan of this guy's work. I'm definitely in his camp. Definitely was excited for this. And I'm just, I'm just really pleased that, you know, I'm pleased as punch that this game came out, Corey. That's how pleased I am. <laughs> um, 
So I started this morning, and basically the, the gist is that the, the player is a small boy. I mean, he looks like he's, I don't know, 12 maybe? It's kind of hard to tell. Uh, he wakes up in like a, a cell, I suppose, like a cave, like a cell. Uh, in this cave with him is this giant animal, which I'm sure if anybody has seen any pictures of The Last Guardian, this animal, his name is Trico. He's been like the star of the show. Everybody's seen, I'm sure everybody knows what this animal looks like. It's kind of like a cross between like a dog and a griffin, like the mythological griffin. Uh, it's huge. It's enormous. I mean, it's like, it's it's bigger than an elephant. I mean, it's 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 huge. And so he wakes up next to this animal. The animal is initially hostile towards him, but, you know, after the beginning section of the game, you make friends, and then the two of you have to work together to escape this prison that you don't really know anything about. So keeping in mind that development on this started like 10 years ago, um, I've heard a lot of people say that they're unhappy with the performance or they're unhappy with the controls or they think it's just it takes too much patience and sort of like all that's kind of true. But I I kind of have to wonder how many of these people are familiar with his past works. I mean, I see a lot of people name check Eco and Shadow of the Colossus. But if you've played those games, I find it hard to imagine that you would be upset with what Last Guardian is because it is very much the third game from this guy. Like there's no mistaking it. His fingerprints are all over it. His style, everything about it screams uh, Fumito Ueda. So I don't know why people would be upset about that. If you've never played his games, maybe I could see why you might bounce off it a little bit. But it's one of those games where the animation is really amazing. I mean, it's hard to even put this into words. Like the, the boy's animation, I think, is really great. He's got a lot of like really natural, free-flowing like jumps, and he kind of hops up, and the way he rolls around. like He looks like an actual little boy like it's really well done but as good as that is the animation for trico the monster is fucking amazing it is so mind-blowing like i saw videos of it and i'm like yeah that looks good and all that but when i actually sat down and just watched it it's fucking freaky it's so crazy because in certain scenes when he looks at you or like when he's just coming around a corner or when he's walking towards you like it almost gave me like a chill like it looks so natural and so real like it's it's really well done like it's an amazing job of animation like a, a triumph of animation i would even say um and the thing about this game i think that a lot of people maybe don't quite get is that i've heard a lot of people say teaming up with trico is really frustrating because he doesn't always do what you want and the controls are really stiff and it's really you know it takes a lot of patience and blah 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 this sucks well okay i imagine a lot of our audience has cats or maybe even dogs i mean have you ever told a cat to do something i mean it doesn't work right like you know maybe if you're like one of those really super super won the lottery lucky cat owners where your cat comes when you call it or like it can do like one trick or something maybe but mostly cats don't do shit when you tell them to dogs if you have a well-trained dog you put the hard effort into it sure they'll do some tricks but if you if you don't do that training every day you know a dog he'll be your buddy he'll run around and he'll do stuff with you but you know outside of like sit or like come here they don't really do a lot so if you take the concept of this little boy meeting this gigantic fucking animal, it kind of makes sense that the animal doesn't do what you want when you want him to do it, right? Like, I mean, you climb on top of him, you can gesture in a direction. Maybe he'll go that way. Maybe he won't. Maybe he'll go the way that he wants to go. Maybe he's in a bad mood. Maybe he's in a good mood. I mean, it's like, it's like being with an animal, you know? Like, I, I don't understand why people would feel frustrated that the animal doesn't do what you want because that's, that's what animals do. They do their own thing, right? So I think that part is interesting. I mean, there are certainly sections, like, for, for example, today, 
Uh, Trico is so huge, but he's also very agile. On his back, he's got these little little teeny baby wings, so I assume he's like a baby animal, even though he's monstrous. Uh, but he cannot fly, but he's really, really good at jumping, and he's very nimble. So I, I hopped on his back, and there are certain parts of the game where there are like these giant walls, and the only way to get over them is to get on his back and let him jump over. Like, you have to ride him over, because he's just, he can do it, and you can't. And so I was on his back, and I'm pointing at the wall, and it's the only wall in the room, and I'm like, go, go, jump, do that right here, this wall, right here, come on, buddy, go, you know, you know go, go, go. And he just wouldn't do it. And that's fine. So I'm like, okay, you know what? This is not happening. I'm going to get off. I'm going to try something else. I'm going to try to like jump him down in front of the wall. I'm trying to lead him over some other way. You know, like, like as you would if you were with a real animal, like you were, you know, and you weren't allowed to beat it. I mean, if you had to like somehow get an animal to do something, I mean, just imagine what that process would be like. So it was frustrating, but when he finally did it, it was like, yeah, I finally got it. All right. Awesome. Like, you know, like we're back on track and it felt really good. So I think that part is really interesting, and I'm looking forward to seeing how that develops. I, I'm kind of curious to see if his responsiveness improves over the course of the game as the characters build a bond. Um, I'm also curious to see how the game further develops. Most of the combat is done by him because he's so big. Whenever enemies show up, you kind of just get out of the way and let him do his business. And he just, like, mows through stuff because he's so big and powerful. Uh, and you can, like, you know, pat him down afterwards and clean the blood off him and pick spears out of his body if you need to. Um, but together, it's it's really interesting. I mean, it's obviously just another iteration on what uh, Ueda has done before. So it's not like reinventing the wheel, although there's a different approach to it. There's a different spin. It definitely feels different, but at the same time, it feels like a continuation of his previous works. So given that the last time we got one of his games was like, you know, seven or eight years ago or whatever it was, I mean, that to me is a long enough uh, break in the cycle to where I'm very welcoming of something like this, where it's not a complete reinvention, but like a refinement or a further exploration. So, so far I'm really liking it a lot. I mean, I think it, it looks stunning. The animation's amazing. Um, I mean, that animal is just, it is just a wonder to behold. It is so amazing. Um, I've heard some people say the frame rate takes a hit later on. I haven't seen that yet. Maybe that does happen, but no, no problems on my end so far. So, I mean, up to this point, I'm just, I'm really looking forward to digging uh, deeper into it. Okay, my question, the biggest question I have for you is, if I, I own two cats right now, if I already own two cats, and I have a hard enough time just dealing with them, and like, you know, their neediness, and their like, cat bitchiness all the time, why should I play a game that's just going to make me deal with that even more? Maybe you shouldn't play this game, Corey. Maybe this game is not for you. If you have your cat quota filled, maybe skip this one. I mean, I'm probably going to skip it because I'm not really that interested in it in the first place. But the interesting thing, as you describe it to me, is that it sounds like... I don't know if we've talked about it on this show, um, but the idea of the anti-shooter, which is like, um, for our listeners that don't know, like an anti-shooter is like a game where it's like a first or third person shooter where the mechanics are kind of bad, but they're kind of bad on purpose. Um, a couple examples would be Spec Ops The Line and Kanan Lynch 2 Dog Days. And it's the idea that you kind of have to like struggle through the game because that's how the protagonists are doing it. They're kind of struggling and they're not that sharp. So this kind of sounds like an anti-adventure game to me where it's like you're used to an adventure game just being responsive and you can do whatever you want in the game, but you actually have to like work against the... Um, I guess the the Trico, the animal that you have. So uh, maybe it's like the first example of an anti-adventure game. 
Yeah, I think that's a really good point because, I mean, the animal is definitely, I mean, it is the point the game exists. It is the entire center of the game. So you have to really take that into account. And it would be kind of stupid to think, why is he not doing exactly what I want? I mean, it's, it is, it is an adventure game. And yet, like you said, like it's not, because I mean, I think the real point of the game is you and this animal making a connection, becoming friends, becoming able to trust each other. That relationship is really what the game is about. And although you do adventure game type stuff to, to facilitate that growth, I mean, that's, it would be ridiculous for you to like right out of the gate, start making these really complex jumps or to be able to scale this complex architecture with no problem as, as if you guys were already a team, which you clearly are not like, you know, half an hour ago, he was on the verge of eating you. And then now you guys are friends, but you know, it's kind of like a tenuous friendship. You guys are still getting to know each other. So I think that's very true. And I think that a lot of people are kind of getting hung up on the fact that it's not like an uncharted or, you know, it's not like a platformer. Like it's, it's about you and this animal. That's what this is about. Um, I will say, though, that one criticism I kind of have so far is that um, I've gotten stuck a couple times. And like I said, I'm not really that far into it. So that was kind of a little bit discouraging. Like I'll get to a section and as I'm learning the game, I just I'm not quite putting two and two together sometimes. And I think part of it is because I'm still learning about what I can and can't do. Uh, but the other part is that in some of these areas, um, the architecture is very much classic Ueda, where it's like crumbling castles like this beautiful vistas, like long drops, uh, narrow bridges. I mean, it's all very classic. Like if you've played Colossus or if you've played Eco, the architecture is very much in line with that. And part of the time, the solutions to these puzzles would only make sense if you already had a large animal with you. Like, you know, there's this one part where there's a door that's really, really high up. And I'm looking at this door and there's like no conceivable way of getting to that door. Luckily, I have this giant nimble animal with me so I can he can hop up onto this wall and then I'll climb up his tail and then I'll get on his back and then I'll jump from his back to the door. That's fine and it's pretty satisfying from a, a gameplay perspective. But like it kind of undercuts the world a little bit for me because I mean of course you need to have things to do with this animal otherwise it'd be a really boring game if all you're doing is walking a straight line. But at the same time there's some parts where I'm like well this architecture doesn't quite make sense. Like why why would they build it like this? You know like I mean I guess that's kind of a nitpicky way to go because I mean games only exist in order for you to do something in them but at the same time I feel like there's been a few sections where I'm like hmm this uh I don't know but uh, you know it makes sense in the context of having Trico with you but if you didn't have him with you not sure how believable an environment would be but you know whatever I'm kind of splitting hairs at this point that's that's for a deep dive of the game design at some point in the future but so far I definitely am enjoying it and I'm really just really glad that it came out I mean Really, really happy this didn't dissolve into the ether. You know, uh, whenever you started talking about uh, this game, Last Guardian, I was thinking about um, a while back I had listened to a couple of Game Critics E3 shows, and I'm pretty sure for like two or three Game Critics podcast E3 shows in a row, there was at least one person on the podcast that was like, my most anticipated game is the last guardian. And then like the next year it was like that person's game. And then the next year it was that person's game and nobody ever thought it was ever actually going to come out. And now here we have it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's been a really, really, really long road and you know, there's been a lot of games that have taken a similarly long road, but I got to say like so far, I feel like this has been the most successful of those ones that have been kind of lost in development hell for a while. So we'll see. I'll, I'll, I'll touch back, uh, on it later on once I finish. Uh, like I said, I don't think it's that long. Um, so I'll probably be able to be finished with it by the time we record next time. And I'll give you an update um, 
when we get back together. But enough about Last Guardian, Corey. Um, I believe you've been playing something spooky. Well, something spooky or something that thinks it's spooky, because there's a big difference oh, between those two. Sh- <laughs> oh, shit. Okay. The good news is I get to talk about both of them, because... I've been playing the Amnesia Collection, which has two and a half games in it. Um, So let's talk about Amnesia. Um, For listeners that don't know, the Amnesia Collection just came out for PlayStation 4, like, very recently. I think it was last month or so. Um, It was, like, right around Thanksgiving. And uh, it is a compilation of um, a cult classic horror pc game called amnesia the dark descent which originally came out in 2010 and it was pc exclusive it also contains one um dlc for amnesia called justine and it also contains the uh, official sequel to the game uh, called amnesia a machine for pigs which came out in pc exclusive in 2013 and Frictional Games, uh, they published all of these. And Frictional's most recent game is Soma, which was their first uh, PC and console crossover game, which came out, um, I think it was last spring, or it was like the spring of uh, 2015, I think. Um, but Frictional did Amnesia the Dark Descent, and then uh, the developer of the Chinese Room, which is most famous for Dear Esther and... Um, uh, everyone's gone to the rapture yeah everybody's gone to the rapture i almost said vanishing of ethan carter but that is not them that's the astronauts um yeah uh everybody's gone to the rapture they developed the sequel a machine for pigs but it was co-produced by some people from frictional um and i played them recently in the collection and i have to say um i thought that amnesia of the dark descent was going to be like totally 100 right at my alley because this game kind of spearheaded the whole um first-person horror genre that involved not fighting because the game has no combat in any way shape or form and there's kind of one monster that lives in the game and he shows up every once in a while actually there's like two but that's a little bit beside the point um and whenever you see him you have to just kind of like run and hide and stay away from him and wait for him to leave the area and then you can go um and then you know you can continue exploring and I thought it was going to be up my alley because I love, um, like, I love PT, uh, aka the Silent Hills demo that came out years ago. Um, I've played Outlast and I kind of like it, but I'm not in love with it, um, which I think we've already talked about on the show before. But, and like the game Slender, like the original PC one that came out, um, I really like that game. And it's very similar to those because it's just like you in first person and spooky environments and no combat and something's hunting you. However, I have to say, Amnesia of the Dark Descent, I did not really like that much, and it's partially because I don't think the horror is that effective because the game is so old. Like, it came out in 2010, and you can tell every bit of it because it looks and it plays like an old PC game, even though I'm playing it with a PlayStation 4 controller. And the premise of the game is you play as a guy named Daniel, who I guess um, drank like an amnesia-inducing potion right before the beginning of the game. But he leaves himself a series of notes through the environment that, like, tell him what to do. It's kind of like the movie, like, Memento, like, a tiny bit. Um, okay. And it doesn't... The First of all, the story makes absolutely no sense to me. Like, I, I don't think the game is here to serve a story. The game is... They just put the story on so that they would give you an excuse to explore this, like, creepy mansion. Because the, the space you're in is, like, this gross kind of, like, cavernous mansion. And there's, like, a cave area and, like, a prison cell area. And it's... Um, it's it's not like uh modern in any way um 
because Soma was like a science fiction game that dealt with like artificial intelligence and like uh, space and stuff. And this game is totally not that in any way, shape or form. Um, but the point of the game is you're supposed to track down this guy and basically like murder him before he unleashes this ritual or something. And the gameplay is just not there for me. Like part of it is because a lot of it has some very old school, like adventure game style puzzles. And I totally do not have the patience for that kind of stuff. So I was basically looking up a strategy guide online, like every 30 minutes for this game. Cause there would be some kind of obtuse puzzle that I could not figure out what to do. Like you would pick up like, like what do you mean? Like you got to pick up an item and like, you know, put the cog in the gear shaft or something or like, what do you mean? Yeah. Like I'll give you a good example. Like there's one part where you read a file about some guy that's making a vaccine in order for you to get um, through this like sewer area that I guess is like infected with something. And you, there's like a kind of a prisony area and there's like a room with this like pile of dead bodies in it. And there's another room with some dead bodies and there's like a guy on an operating table, but it doesn't really look like he's being operated on. Cause it's like old school. This is like 1800s or like 1600s or something. So it's just like a wooden table and there's like a naked guy sitting on it or like laying on it, a naked dead guy. And of course, um, I don't know how I didn't figure this out because I'm so dumb, but the solution to the puzzle is to take this like, screw crank thing that's been in your inventory for like hours and use it on him so that you screw a hole in his head and then you use a different item a copper tube from your inventory and you put that in the hole in his head and then you use a third item uh, a broken uh, needle that you put in the copper tube which you use to inject yourself with the blood from his head and I don't know how in the world I was supposed to figure that out on my own without um, consulting some kind of online guide. That's kind of how like old school adventure gamey this is. But okay, I, okay, gotcha. Yeah, I could not. There was not a chance in hell I was ever going to figure something like that out. So I was looking up guides all the time because it's kind of like you play like a spooky section and then you get to a puzzle like that and then it's just kind of like rinse repeat for the rest of the game. And a lot of the spooky sections are just like you were walking down a hallway and then um like a door blows open and you know in some games that would scare me but not in a game that looks like it was developed in you know to the year 2000 or something it's just not quite working for me and the game also has a bunch of uh mechanics that totally work against each other and outlast had the same problem and i talked about this on the show before but amnesia it has a, a sanity meter where if you're in the dark too long your, your sanity drains but really the only downside of your sanity draining is that like the walls like the the screen kind of skews and kind of gets blurry and gets grainy and stuff and sometimes there will be like body parts on the floor or like blood dripping down from the ceiling or something if your sanity gets slow but i was under the impression that sanity low sanity was going to like spawn a monster that killed me but that never seemed to happen in the game so it's kind of useless in the first place but to combat low sanity, you have a torch that you carry around to light areas, and you also have these little, like, matches that you use to light torches on the walls to create permanent light. But the the lantern that you have runs on oil, and the oil is not always that easy to find, and it kind of runs out quickly. So it creates a scenario in the game where instead of feeling like I need to, like, spookily walk around slowly, kind of for fear of my life with every next step... Because I'm worried about my lantern running out of oil, I instead am, like, sprinting around this castle trying to find the next thing for the next puzzle. And if I'm running in a horror game in a way that's not being chased from something behind me, like, you are doing your horror game wrong. Like, there there should not be a situation where I'm dashing around your scary um, environment because I'm, like, 
so afraid of the lantern running out rather than being afraid of like something around in the environment that's going to attack me. And I just was not, I'm just, I wasn't into it. Um, I don't think it worked well. Let me ask you then. So, okay. So a couple, couple things. First off really quickly, if your if your lamp oil runs out, does it become actually like literally hard to see or does it just trigger your sanity effect? Both because when it gets dark, it actually is a little bit hard to see, but it's not so hard that it like super impedes game progress. But whenever you start layering like the screen getting skewed on top of it, um, it does get hard to see, but it never got so hard that I was like, I like couldn't progress or I had to like reload a save or something like at some points in the game, I was literally, I would turn my lantern off because I didn't want to use the oil and just sprint around the environment as fast as I could to try to find whatever door led to the next space. And like, that's totally the opposite of what I should be doing in a horror game. No, that makes sense. I got to say just like slight tangent here, but like, I hate games where it's difficult to see. Like, I mean, they're called video fucking games, right? (laughs) So like any game that's like really dark or where they play with like your ability to actually see. I mean, if it's a really quick temporary, oh, I got hit with a flashbang or, you know, something like that where it's just like a real brief. I mean, that's no big deal. It's fine. But like games that are just like intentionally dark all the time, I take real issue with because I just I hate like squinting to see what's going on and i know it's supposed to make you feel spooky and creeped out it's just really fucking irritating sometimes (laughs) what i end up doing usually is just turning up like the gamma or turning up the brightness like as much as i can and usually that will counteract any dark effect it's i i fucking hate dark games but anyway um i'm really curious to hear you say all this stuff about it not being spooky i mean i know you're definitely on the spooky side when it comes to games i know you play a lot of horror games um but you know, back when we originally reviewed this game at Game Critics, uh, this was the game where uh, Game Critics uh, senior member Richard Nyack, he almost drank himself to death trying to get through this game because it was so scary for him that he would uh, open a bottle of wine and like he needed like literal alcohol to get through it. And it was pretty famous. Um, I think we even recorded with him drunk one time, if I remember correctly. <laughs> but yeah, he just he was like he was broken. He was a shattered man after playing this. And uh that was one of the reasons why I, I, I tried to play it on my PC. I ended up not being able to for technical reasons, but I'm so surprised because, I mean, it sounds like you're kind of just shrugging it off like, you know, NBD. And here's Richard, like, you know, his liver, like, you know, he had to go to the hospital or something because he drank <laughs> so much booze to get through it. It's, it's crazy to me that you guys could have such different takes on it. Well, but, you know, I guess people are people, right? I think part of it, too, is the fact that he probably played it when it first came out, which I'm sure six years ago it was definitely the scariest game on the market at the time. Um, but because so many better horror games have come out since then, and I never played Amnesia in the first place, I feel like everything I was playing in Amnesia, I was like, okay, well, I've already played this, but like in a way better form already. And so, I mean, I feel like it's one of those games where if people look back on it and say it's like the most amazing horror game they've ever played, it's more of like nostalgia speaking rather than them actually... Um, like, if they tried to go back and play it today, I don't think it would be that scary. And I also don't know what Richard and I's tolerance for different kinds right, of scary right. games is. So, I mean, he might not be True. scared by the same things that I am or whatever. Um, and, and to be fair, like you said, I mean, Amnesia was kind of like the pioneer when it comes to like the... I don't want to call it passive game, but kind of like the the no offense game or, you know, however you want to describe it, like the, the runaway horror game. I mean, that was one of the first ones, like you said, correct? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think it pretty much because they they developed a few games called uh, Penumbra before Amnesia, but I don't think those are nearly as well known. And they kind of like worked their way up to like the cult classic of Amnesia, um, which uh, 
Uh, and I mean, which makes sense, I guess. And uh, to put things into perspective, too, with Soma, their most recent game, um, Soma was my game of the year last year. I fucking love that game. Um, and it's kind of the same thing because there's no combat and it's scary, but it was also in a setting that I appreciated more. And the story was a lot more interesting and it was like very hard sci-fi, whereas Amnesia is just like, you're it's very like lovecraftian like you're in a like a dark castle and there's like candles and like shit and i'm just not into that but i have to say um i i was feeling really down on the amnesia collection but i i fired up uh the sequel a machine for pigs like the night i finished amnesia like in one afternoon and then that night i fired up the sequel and i have to say amnesia a machine for pigs is fucking amazing it is so good and i'm really sad that nobody is talking about this game because uh, everybody is so enamored with the first amnesia and this one's a little bit different so i feel like well, people were talking about machine for pigs they all they all said it was terrible well, I... Hated it. <laughs> and i i mean maybe it just speaks to what kind of games i like but uh um a machine for pigs uh you can tell if you're familiar with the chinese room the developers you can totally tell it was developed by them because a machine for pigs is similar to the first amnesia but it's slightly more of like a walking simulator than just like a straightforward horror game and it's still it has a lot of the same stuff like the environments are pretty um pretty narrow you have a lantern it's dark and it's spooky there's no combat so there's a lot of the same stuff going on but i feel like first of all it looks way better because it came out in 2013 it's just graphically better and when it comes to horror if the graphics are better it's automatically going to be scarier because if i look like i'm getting chased by like a stick man it's just not going to work that well for me um but a machine for pigs like it just unfolds so naturally and they stripped a lot of the stuff out of the game that made the first one not work for me because you have a lantern but it has unlimited oil you'd never have to find oil in the environment you never have to light lights in the environment to keep stuff up there's no sanity meter so it's just you by yourself like shaking in your boots with your little lantern like walking around these environments and the whole game feels like you're participating in something that's much bigger than you because i mean the game's called a machine for pigs and i mean it's literally like you were in the bowels of like kind of the slaughterhouse and part of the game and you're like it's kind of, it's almost like steampunky in so it kind of leaves the lovecraft behind and moves into more like victorian steampunk era and it's god it's just so good and the lantern it does this really clever thing where if there's an enemy in the area the lantern will start flickering it's kind of like the radio in silent hill like you know there's danger so i'm like walking down a staircase like creeping down and then the lantern starts flickering and like some lights in the area start flickering and i immediately know that like there's something in the area that's gonna fuck me up like if i get any closer so there were sections of the game where i would turn off the lantern and i would crouch down on the ground and crawl through these environments like as slowly as i possibly could while trying to peek around corners because i was terrified to move on and that's like the exact opposite of the way i was playing the first amnesia and i i feel bad that this game got a bad rap because i think it is so much better than the first amnesia it just pains me to think about people not liking this game interesting interesting yeah i remember everything you said that you liked was taken away i remember very clearly a lot of people being upset that a lot of that stuff was taken out. So, I mean, I think you, in general, you personally are more predisposed to liking walking simulators. I know you kind of, uh, you play most of those and you dig most of them. So maybe that is just about a personal taste kind of thing. But yeah, um, you make it sound pretty good. And I had originally not planned on playing it. But since they are together, that does sound like a pretty good package. I've always wanted to play The Dark Descent. 
because uh, I wanted to see what, you know, almost drove Richard to madness. And, and you describing Machine for Pigs sounds like it's got potential. But what's that third or I guess point five, like the DLC? Like, what's that all about? Um, the DLC is dumb. It's like, first of all, it's DLC for the first game, which I think is inferior. So it already makes me less interested in playing it. But I did fire it up the other day. And it's kind of like a, almost like a portal-esque like, uh, test chamber kind of thing. Because you start the game and it flat out tells you, like, you cannot save your game. If you die, there are no continues. You have to start all the way over. And you wake up in a jail cell and there's like a a little like phonograph in the corner and it's this woman talking to you kind of describing the test that she's about to put you through and you walk down a couple hallways into like a big um like cell chamber and you there's like a guy that's that's potentially about to be tortured in one of them and there's a way that you can save him or there's a way that you can kill him and honestly i could not figure out what to do to get out of the first chamber and i uh and i didn't like want to be bothered to look up an online guide for it so i only played it for like an hour and couldn't figure out how to progress and i didn't feel like looking anything up and i didn't want to like detract from my experience with a machine for pigs so i just stopped playing the dlc altogether wow okay okay well it it's in there i guess if people want to give it a shot but uh okay well it sounds uh like a pretty juicy package either way. I mean, it sounds pretty much like, uh, I mean, I don't know. Would you recommend this double pack? I mean, it, it all comes together. Would you say it's worth it? Or should people just track down only a machine for pigs on steam or something like that? Well, I think it's probably worth it. If people haven't played either of them, like, cause this game is basically marketed like specifically for me. Like I played Soma, I loved it and I had always wanted to play their old games. And so here I am actually able to play their old games. And to be honest with you, I might be being a little bit too hard on the first amnesia because uh, maybe a lot of people probably get scared by games easier than I do. Like, I don't want to pretend like I'm some big old tough guy or anything, but like I play a lot of horror games and I like them and I have a specific idea of what makes a good horror game in my head. And I feel like people who play horror games don't necessarily have those ideas or that sort of like integrity for horror. So the first game is probably actually good for people who aren't like horror hipsters like I am who have all these like ideas about what good and bad horror is so i still recommend it um and you know who knows if people buy it they might end up liking the first game more than the second game and then i look like an idiot but at least i got one really good game out of the package so i can't complain there you go and if you do think core is an idiot please make sure to write in and tell us that here at the so video games <laughs> podcast we'll read your criticisms on the air yeah please do <laughs> all righty okay so let's talk about um i'm done talking about anita so uh Last week, we had a listener question from Realist. Uh, I don't know his name. Do you know his name? I think his name is Adam, I believe. And I apologize, apologize if I got that wrong. I think it's Adam. I'm pretty sure. Well, he asked us about Let It Die. And I think last week, we both had discussed that we had not played it yet. Um, but we had both downloaded it. and But I know you've played it a lot. I've played it a little bit. So uh, why don't we officially answer this question now? Why don't you talk about uh, Let It Die a little bit? Yeah, so Let It Die. Um, like you said, as Realist asked for our impressions, and this has been a game I've been looking forward to for quite some time. Um, is This is going to sound like pure, like, total bullshit. And I <laughs> I almost hesitate to bring it up, but like everyone, like when you've been playing games for like a long time, I've been playing games for a long time. Sometimes you just get a feeling, you know, like you see just like a few seconds of gameplay. You see a little clip. You see some element of something and you just 
you just kind of know, like, you're just like, oh yeah, that's, that's going to be good. You know, like you just, <laughs> I don't know if that happens to everybody. It, it happens to me sometimes and it's not predictable. I can't do it on command, but every once in a while I'll take it, I'll, I'll just see a peak and I'll be like, oh, that's, that's the shit. That's what I'm waiting for. Right. <laughs> so I saw, I saw a very, very short, very, very early clip of let it die. Um, at least I want to say it was like two years ago, maybe even three years ago. And just from that, like 20, 30 seconds of gameplay, it wasn't even that long. It's probably like 20 seconds. I was like, all right, that looks like it's the shit. Um, and now that it's out, it just came out recently, uh, developed by Grasshopper Manufacturer, uh, the house led by Suda51, uh, directed by Hideyuki Shin, published by Gung Ho, just came out recently this month in December. Now that this game is out, I can say that my game radar, 100% correct. That game came out good. And uh, I know that you're going to disagree with me on this, but hang on for just one second um, <laughs> as we fill in the uh, fill in the listeners here. Uh, Let It Die is actually... Well, okay. It's a free-to-play game, oddly enough. It's a console-based free-to-play game. It's also third-person action. And there are roguelike elements, although it's a little bit unclear as to exactly how much of that is straight-up roguelike and how much of it is kind of predetermined. Um, The premise of the game is that uh, some kind of catastrophe has befallen the Earth and everything is in disarray, kind of post-apocalyptic, whatever, whatever. There's a giant tower... Uh, that has arisen in Tokyo, and people think that if you get to the top of the tower, I don't know, there's like God is there, or there's a treasure there, or there's something good there, and people come from all around to climb the tower. So you are one new person climbing the tower, and you start at the bottom with like literally like nothing. You're wearing underwear, and that's all you have. There's sexy, nothing else. Sexy, sexy underwear. I want to add. Super sexy underwear. Yes, yeah. yeah, super. It's just like that underwear that you got for that uh, for Nick the other day. Well, not just like not that. that sexy, but it's up there. Well, it was close. It was really close. <laughs> um, so you go into these. So the, the the building is like a bunch of buildings smashed together. There's like cement tunnels. Walls are falling over. Everything looks super decrepit. It's like. If you took a wrecked building and then put another wrecked building on top of it and then stacked wrecked <laughs> buildings all the way up to the sky, like that's what the inside of this building looks like. Everything is a jumble. Everything is kind of a mess. Um, and everybody in it is also a mess. So you go in and there's other weird enemies. There are some like weird AI, like robot type creatures. There's some weird monster type creatures. And you will also find uh, other players. Uh, this is not real time PVP. There's no co-op. This is a single player game. But if you play this game and you die and you don't resurrect your character, your corpse becomes an enemy in other people's games. So if you're going through and you see an enemy with uh, like a red name tag, you know that was somebody who died right there. So kind of adds a little spice to the game. You basically just go through. You kill as many people as you can. Um, Every time you kill somebody, they usually drop something. They'll drop a pair of pants. They'll drop a hat. They'll drop uh, a gun or a knife or something. You've got limited inventory and you have to kind of manage what you pick up as you go through. And you just want to, like, survive as long as possible. There's a lot more to it than it first seems. Once you survive for a while, you can level yourself up. That are permanent stat increases. And once you get used to different weapon types, you, you become better with those weapons permanently. So even if you lose a character, your next one will still be as good with those weapons as your last one was, which is a huge bonus. Um, you also have, like, a base um, at the bottom of the tower that you can uh, unlock some uh, materials for blueprints. So instead of going into the tower with nothing, if you find blueprints for something, you can make that, and then you can go into the tower like wearing armor with weapons that you like, or you know, just go into it like way more prepared to give you a much better chance of survival. 
Um, apparently there are like 40 floors um, vertically, but there are also a number of floors like sideways. So like you can go up one, but then there might be three or four different chambers on one floor. So there's a lot more rooms in it than just 40 and the, the levels are quite long. It feels almost like, like I don't want to say a Dark Souls and I hate anybody who like defaults to Dark Souls because I think it gets really abused. But it does have a little bit of that same feeling of where it, the combat is really tense. You really creep around corners to see who's ahead of you. And you be, you're very careful before you get uh, into an engagement with an enemy. You try to get the drop on people at all times if possible. And if you're outnumbered, then you should run. So those are all things that kind of hold true in Dark Souls. And it feels kind of like a low-rent Dark Souls in some ways. Um, but I really, really dig it. I think the aesthetic is really great. It's... Uh, I like the post-apocalyptic, but it's also like not too serious. Uh, there's lots of crazy. It's like tons of blood, but like really over the top blood. So it doesn't get really gory. It's just kind of goofy. And I think uh, this is probably one of the only games in history where weapons have uh, a degrade. Um, they degrade over time. Like they have a, a durability. So you can, you know, you get an axe and you can swing that axe like 40 times before it breaks or something. Usually I hate that in games. I usually can't stand it. But in this game, I think it actually works well because... You're constantly picking up new stuff, and as your old stuff wears out, you're cycling through, so it kind of changes up the flavor of the gameplay. Each weapon handles differently, you have different combos, and it gives you a chance to kind of build up your proficiency with a, a wide variety of weapons. So I think it's it, it does add to the, the feeling, like the roguelike feeling of the game. I think it's a good fit. So, I mean, there's a lot more to it than that, but I've been talking for a while. Corey, I know that you put a little bit of time into it. I, at this point, I'm probably like 30 hours into it. Corey, how far are you? Uh, I only played it for like two hours, and I could not ever imagine putting 30 hours into this game. Really? Okay, so tell me tell me your impressions. I love it, obviously, but what, what did you not like about it, or what were your thoughts? Well, some of the stuff I'm about to complain about, uh, like, if people are into, like, roguelikes or whatever, they're going to be like, the, the my whole complaint is going to be, everybody's going to say, okay, well, that's the point of the game. Because I, I don't play roguelikes, I don't like these kind of games, so it only makes sense that I wouldn't, you know, this game is not the one that's going to get me on board. Um, so the first thing I want to say is, uh, there's, um, you, so you start the game, like you said, and you get to pick from, like, a pre-manufactured, like, man or woman fighter, and of course I pick, usually I play as women, but the dude is wearing, like, skimpy underwear, and his, like, bulge is all hanging out, so I was like, okay, like, obviously I'm going to pick the dudes to fight. And he's, like, got, like, huge pecs, and he's, like, super ripped. And the game has, an like, a cooldown attack thing where uh, you, um, where, okay, so if you're using your fist, sorry, I'm not very organized. Um, so you can punch something, like, four, like, three or four times, and then the guy gets tired, and he has to, like, cool down for three seconds. And the cooldown happens, and he has to, uh... And he, he's just, like, sitting there breathing heavily while the, the enemy around him is, like, attacking him. And I just don't... Like, I know, okay, it's the point of the game, whatever. Like, you don't just want to be punching everything 100% of the game because that wouldn't be fair or whatever. But if I play as this, like, fucking ripped-ass guy who gets off a train who's basically, like, built to fight in this tower, do not fucking tell me that I can only punch three times before I get winded. Like, that doesn't make one bit of fucking sense. And I know it's the point of the game, whatever. But it's just, like, little things like that that piss me off about this game. And <laughs> I... Yeah, no, that's that's funny. I get you. Go ahead, go ahead. And, like, as I get to the lobby, like you were saying, the ground floor of the building is kind of like a... It's like your home base, kind of. And there's, like, a place to buy stuff, and there's a place to train and level up, and there's, like, a package chute that comes down that, like, gives you stuff every day. 
And so you get to the base floor, and there are these little balloons hanging everywhere with, like, a little note on them. And it's, like, a little written tutorial about the sections of the game. When you get to that base floor, there's, like, 50 fucking notes that you have to read. And it is it is the fucking worst at tutorializing the game. Because I do not want to run around your your home base and read a paragraph about every single one of the game's mechanics before I've even played any of the fucking game. Like, I didn't understand what was going on in this game at all. And I'm sure if people are familiar with games like this, they totally get it and they get all the mechanics and they get all the centers and they get, you know, what it's doing. But I don't get it. And I, uh, and I was just like, okay, can I actually like play the fucking game? Or are you just going to let me run around and read all these stupid notes that I'm not going to remember as soon as I close them out? And so I played like two floors of a level and, uh, and you know, I picked up, you have three, each hand can hold three weapons, which sounds silly, but you have like a six, you have like six inventory slots essentially. And, uh, so I was like using my fists most of the time because I felt like that was the most effective. Like I would throw two punches and roll and then throw two punches and roll. And that's kind of how I was playing the game. And so I would save my good weapons for like, you know, if like a hard high level enemy came around or something and i picked up this like gun that shoots like confetti or like fireworks or something and it was so dumb because the game doesn't really have that good of aiming mechanics like it's not a third person shooter where you have like a reticle and you aimed on your shoulder you just kind of like point the person's body in the general direction of an enemy and press the attack button and kind of like hope that they're still standing there by the time your bullet comes out of the gun and half the time they move before before like you connect or like the gun shoots off in a different direction. And when I was using this confetti gun, like this fucking ripped ass guy would like hold the confetti gun up and shoot a confetti stream or whatever. And then it would take him like two full seconds to lower the gun down. And in those two seconds, you can't run, you can't roll, you can't dodge, you can't do anything. And it's just like, you know, I get it. It's the point of the game. You know, you can't run around dual wielding guns, guns blazing. But like, again, with the winded thing, if you're going to tell me that I'm playing as a guy who looks like, you know, an Olympic crossfitter and he holds one confetti gun in his hand and needs a full like four seconds to fire off one shot, I'm just not into it. And it's one of those because it's like a roguelike. It's one of those games where you can play it, you know, for hours and hours and hours and feel like you're getting absolutely nowhere to me, at least. And I just don't want to put all that time into this game where I'm, A, doing the exact same thing in every single level, walking around dudes and, like, um, you know, helmets, punching them to get their helmets and eating frogs for health. And I just feel like there's, like, no story. And I know the game's probably not meant to have a real story, but there's just, no- there's just like, nothing there other than, like, a guy in sexy undies to get me into it. And that's, like, that's not enough for this game for me. <laughs> Wow, you really did not like this game at all. Wow, we are we are on completely opposite sides on this. And you know, I will say that fireworks gun—it's fucking heavy, bro. It's really heavy. It's a lot heavier than it looks. So you got to give that guy a break. Because well, if it's so heavy, why does he lift it with one hand to shoot it? It should be a double-handed weapon if it's heavy. Well, this is funny because it sounds like you're bouncing off a lot of very traditional Japanese um, combat mechanics. Like the 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 thing that you're referring to, where he can only take a couple wax with his fist or he can only swing something i mean like stamina meter is like really like a basis for a lot of japanese combats again i mean i hate to be that guy but like that's a really huge part of dark souls where you have to really carefully gauge how many attacks you can um dish out before you need to recover and so that it's like it's totally like the exact same stamina mechanic same thing for um monster hunter 2 another game which i really am a big fan of and in terms of uh the the aiming and 
like the animation, like you said, when you fire the fireworks gun and then you got to freeze for a second. That is also another very Japanese thing where you have to like take into account your animation, how long that animation takes and when is the right place to do that attack. So you can't just like willy nilly like fire off attacks all the time. Like you have to consider what attack is the enemy doing? How long is that animation going to play out? How long does my animation play out? Can I get my attack off? Can I get two attacks off before their animation finishes? I mean, this is very, very basic, very, um, very traditional Japanese combat. So if you're not a fan of that, I can totally see why you would not like that. But uh, although I'm not a fan of JRPGs by any stretch of the imagination, I really do like a lot of Japanese uh, combat games because I feel like there's a lot of structure to them which I really like and so I like the monster hunters I like the dark souls and so this one feels right up my alley it really clicks makes a lot of sense to me because I already play a lot of those games already but I, I totally get what you're saying um, that makes a lot of sense to me how you would not like it if you're not if you don't swing that way um, I will say though there is a lot to the game I mean it's a very deceptively deep game initially it seems like all you're doing is running around and collecting weapons and killing dudes but once you get a little bit further you can actually have uh, like a base, like there's like a base defense section where you train multiple characters and then you use those characters to be like the defenders of your base. You can go online and attack other people's bases. There's a mode where you can take your your fighters because you can have like a bunch. You can have like, I want to say like up to eight different characters at the same time. And you can take some of your characters and send them out to like do scavenging runs for you. So they collect like items and money and they'll kill people in other worlds for you and then bring that stuff back. So there's like a lot of, if you get into it, there's a lot of stuff going on where you can like enrich yourself, get more resources and kind of like, you know, profit your way to the top of the tower. I've heard it gets really difficult. And after a certain level, you unlock a new tier of characters. And so you, you start off with these new people and like build up their skills again. So if people like the roguelike and if you like the Japanese flavor of combat, this game, I think, delivers a really, really good chunk of it. And it's free. Like this is a free to play game. Interestingly... Unlike other free-to-play games, it feels like this game really doesn't give a fuck if you give them a dollar or not, because the only thing that really changes when you pay money is you get to use a special elevator. If you go to, uh, if you climb the tower, there's like this really cheapy, busted-ass elevator that costs you money to ride, or you can pay money and use the fancy elevator, which stops on every floor. You get like 10 extra inventory slots so you can pick up more stuff when you're in the world. And I think that when you do a raid on somebody else's base, there's no time limit. So there's not really like a ton of difference in the game. In fact, if you don't pay any money, it's just like playing the exact same game, just like slightly harder. So they don't take away anything. Nothing is locked behind a paywall, which I think is really generous. And to be honest, I've been wanting to give these guys some money because I love this game and I want to support them. Uh, they say in the game that there's like a 30-day pass that you can buy, which will buy all of those benefits for you. I really like the extra slots for inventories. Super helpful. Um, but their store isn't up. The store hasn't been up. And there's like literally been no way for me to give them money. You can buy like some in-game currency, but there's like no real point to buying that because you can earn it pretty easily. So it's like I want to give these guys some money. They're not ready to take it. And I, they have delivered like a really, really cool... Japanese flavored action game for free and I think it's pretty awesome um I'm I'm sorry that you did not uh, click with it but I understand why but for me man I am fucking loving the shit out of this game it's it's easily one of my favorite games of the year so far it's gonna be for sure for sure on my top 10 so we will talk more about it later um I'm sure I'll touch back in Adam 
uh, as a realist, I hope that we gave you a little bit more of a deeper dive on that game. I know that you're playing it. Um, hit me up on Twitter if you want to talk some more. I love this game, man. I think this game is fantastic. But enough about Let It Die. Corey, you've got one more to talk about this episode, I believe. I do. Bring it on, sir. All right. Um, so, Mafia 3, I've been playing that. Um, I got it in the mail from Gamefly yesterday, I think. Um and I'm only like, uh, I played it for like an hour or two last night. I played it for about four or five hours today. Like uh, pretty much all I've been doing today is playing Mafia 3 because I don't have a life. Um, I mean, playing it to do research for this podcast is what I meant to say. Um, so I uh, I feel like I don't like open world games that much. And I feel weird because I'm fresh off of uh, Watch Dogs 2 and 2. Yeah, I was going to say game. you just finished Watch Dogs. Isn't this open world overload for you, dude? It, it kind of is. And maybe that's part of the reason why Mafia 3 isn't clicking that much with me. But I'm also still playing it. Um, part of that might be because I don't have anything else to play right now, really. Um, but it's not bad. I mean, I just set this up to ma- make it sound like I'm going to say it's the worst game ever. But it's just too... It's just like a fucking open world game. Just like I said on the last podcast. It's like... It's the same fucking thing where, you know, you... You go to a person and they talk to you for two minutes and you go to a mission and then rinse repeat for, you know, 100 years. But this one has, um, you know, the age old like district takeover stuff, because I think um, to skip past some of the bullshit, I think uh, what really disappoints me about this game is that the developers set it up as this. I mean, the whole thing about this game is it's like you're a black guy in the 1960s and it's like, you know, you're in the South and it's racial tensions and it's like you know that kind of stuff like you know confederacy and civil war and you know you know it's just like i thought that was going to be like a big part of the game and it kind of is because like when you're doing stuff in the game people are you know referencing your race like one of the first things you do is you go into like rob a bank and like the tutorial mission and like the guy he's like well are they going to be okay with like a black guy coming in and you know it's kind of stuff like that and a lot of people say the n-word because they wanted to keep it you know um relative to how it was in in the time um but I mean, honestly, like after you get past the first like hour, because they kind of tutorialize about the first like 30 minutes to an hour of the game, it just turns into a fucking revenge murder story, just like I was bitching about in the last episode. Like it's it's one of those games where you feel like you trust somebody and then after the tutorial mission, they betray you and you get shot in the head and then you have to be like nursed back to health over a montage. And then the rest of the game is like you finding the people that work up to that boss and taking over their districts and seeking revenge, which is, you know, a plot that's only been used in about a hundred video games and movies. And it, it kind of feels like they... I mean, I love the fact that you're black. Like, anybody who listens to this podcast know that I'm all about diversity in gaming. I'm sick and tired of playing as straight white guys with brown hair. So, like, I love that I played Watch Dogs and Mafia back-to-back where it's, like, two black dudes. Like, I love it. Um, if we could only get, like, some black women in here, or, like, some Asians or something, that would be even better. But it's beside the point um, at this moment. But I feel like a lot of the game, like, you know, aside from some, like, racial slurs and um, that kind of stuff, I feel like... it like he almost didn't need to be black like they made such a big deal during development out of the fact that he's like a black character in 1960s america that the game doesn't really seem to be fulfilling that for me and i'm also like i'm white so i realize that i there's a whole like level of you know racial stuff out there that i don't know anything about because you know i'm white i've been white my whole life i'm not really um you know in tune with that kind of stuff so maybe if like black people play this it might ring a little bit better with them but for me like i don't it just doesn't it just seems like another copy pasted open world game where 
you're taking over districts and you're killing people and you know you're driving these slow ass boat cars around town because it's an old um you know it's in like 1968 and another thing that bothers me is uh the guy that you play as um lincoln clay he's like ex-army like special forces like the whole kind of beginning montage they talk a bunch about he was in the army and he was in special forces and he's like this badass soldier and all this stuff and i mean he's definitely capable because he can like kill someone in like three punches and he has like a combat knife and he like can sneak up and like stab people to death very quickly and all that stuff but there's a bunch of like athleticism in the game that's just not quite connecting for me and i think part of it is because i'm fresh off of watchdogs 2 which is all about like parkour and free running and like athleticism in the world but there are so many places in Mafia 3 where I walk up to a wall that's only about a foot taller than Lincoln, and he, like, won't fucking climb it. And I'm like, dude, you were in the Special Forces. Like, how can you not climb this fucking wall that's right in front of you? <laughs> and not only that, but the city is designed so badly that there are several sections where, like, you kind of walk... Like, earlier I walked down this alleyway next to a building, and I was like, cool, I'm walking down an alley. I get to the end of the alley, there's a fucking brick wall. So I had to walk all the way back and walk all the way back around the building to get back out to the street. And I'm like... And I've had that situation so many times where the world is just not designed in a friendly way. Like, not only are there, like, dead ends and, like, fences around buildings that you can't jump over everywhere, but, like, Lincoln himself is not that athletic, even though he's, like, ex-army and ex-special forces. And I, I just feel like it's really physically limiting for me to play as this. Maybe like, he's disabled, man. Maybe he's like a disabled vet, dude. Give him some slack. Well, I dude. mean, he did get shot he's got at a the fake beginning leg. of the game. I mean, he could be, he technically is a little disabled because he literally gets shot in the head like an hour into the game. But I mean, if you see the stuff he can do versus the stuff that he cannot do, it's just like infuriating. Like, you know, he could crouch and roll and leap over stuff and, you know, stab someone in the neck and stab straight through their skull and, you know, shoot guns and all this stuff. But he can't, like, jump over, like, a six-foot-high wall. Like, I can go out and jump over a six-foot-high wall right now, and I haven't done parkour in, like, years, and I was never in the Army. And, like, if I can do that, I feel like a video game character who has all this background should be able to do it and it's just like little things that are annoying me but i'm still playing it i'm probably gonna finish it i want to squeeze it in before game of the year stuff at the end of the year um but so far it's just like it's just another fucking open world game like i'm just over like open world games in general because they all are based on the same blueprint from grand theft auto 3 and like none of them have really done a whole lot to to go farther than that and I just, I don't know. I'm just not into it. But I mean, here I am. I'm a hypocrite because I'm going to keep playing it. But it's just, it's just okay. It's but just but okay. only because you have nothing else to play. So I guess that's kind of a qualified statement about why you're playing it. But I, I do kind of agree that that's really bullshit. Like, games are fantasy. And, you know, sometimes I get that not all games are really fantastical. I mean, some of them want to be a little bit more realistic. But, man, if there's something that I can do in real life that my character can't, I agree. That's super frustrating. That's always really got me like especially like really low walls where i'm like dude i am in like terrible shape and i could hop over that wall no problem <laughs> or like you know i could open that door or i could go through that window or i could do xyz yeah that does that is really frustrating so i mean i wasn't really looking at this game in general because i'm not much of an open world guy and although the story sounds kind of interesting like i heard a lot of people say that you know him being black was really a, a big draw and that's cool and i totally support that but I mean, what I'm gathering from what you're saying is that it's basically just like cookie cutter open world. And the only thing different about it is, you know, how much the story connects with you. I mean, in terms of mechanics, I mean, we've seen 
taking over territory before. We've seen open world driving. We've seen all these things. Does it not do anything mechanically interesting? I mean, at least Watch Dogs 2 had like remote control vehicles and you could do, you know, quote unquote hacking and that kind of thing. So that was at least something that was new. Does uh, does does this game have anything like that? Mafia 3 have anything like that at all? Anything mechanically? I mean, I hate to say this, but it really doesn't. I mean, I played Mafia 2 years ago when it came out and... I mean, I feel like I had the same thoughts about that game as most people did. Like, it was a pretty good game that did not need to be open world at all because the open world is just, like, pure padding for, like, the missions. And this game feels the same way. It's just, like, the missions are sometimes interesting, but not usually because most of the missions are just, like, go somewhere and then, like, either interrogate someone or, like, kill somebody. And uh, it just doesn't have, like sort of like an extra hook and i almost wish that like hideo kojima would have developed this because you know like metal gear solid 4 everybody said there was way too much talking and way too much cutscenes. so metal gear solid 5 had like the like the protagonist said like four words over the entire game and i wish like because of mafia 2 everybody was like this game has way too much open world and way too much padding and i kind of wish that mafia 3 was just like a linear series of like more interesting missions rather than a bunch of like cookie cutter shit that I've already played in like 15 other open world games. No, that makes sense, man, because especially if you're going for something that's really story based, it makes more sense to me to craft that story, to deliver it with certain beats, to make sure that it gets timed out the way that you want it to play out. Because I just, I just, I just think of open world games as just like fuck around games where the point is to be in the world or what the developers see as the point is just to be in the world, you know, emergent, hopefully emergent gameplay doing something that's so interesting that it just makes up for the fact that you just don't have a lot of structure to it until you get those cookie cutter missions where it's just like, oh, now you're you're limited in certain ways to get this mission done. I I, I think open world is strongly, strongly overdue for, for an overhaul. I mean, I think The Witcher 3 was probably one of the only open world games in recent memory where I really felt like it justified, like it made sense that that game was open world. Everything in the open world was really interesting and detailed so rich i mean just spending time in the countryside you would find so many interesting things to do so many weird cool things would happen like that really made sense especially with the character who was himself a wanderer that was a good fit but i think that in most games open world is not a good fit because if you're trying to tell some kind of narrative you got to have a beginning middle and end you got to have some pacing you got to have some you know some rising action some falling action some some build up some suspense it takes away all suspense if in one mission someone's about to get killed and then you fuck off for like three hours crashing cars off a pier or playing pool in the pool hall or something you know it just totally detracts from that story and if people want to do that that's fine i guess but i just i mean i just feel like a lot of open world games are just copying each other right now and no one's really um, doing anything to raise the bar outside of cg cd project red so i think it probably i mean i'm going to pass on this one it sounds like and i'm probably going to pass on every single open world game until uh cyberpunk comes out which is the next one from the witcher developers so i'm going to give those guys for sure another go those guys have earned it but otherwise i want to see people back away from open world for quite a while i'm, I'm really sick of it yeah and i uh i mean you know me i'm not really into the whole like magic and like dragons and bullshit so i was not into the witcher at all i played it for like an hour and it was totally not my thing but i am like really uh excited for cyberpunk because i love when kind of like uh how bioware do it like you know they have dragon age and then they have mass effect so they have like their dragons and fantasy game and then they have their sci-fi game and it's kind of like you know fallout and uh 
and uh, Elder Scrolls, um, like, this is kind of what I'm hoping that'll be. Like, it'll be their chance to, like, really grab me into their universe. Because if you give me a sci-fi futuristic story, I am way more likely to get on board with it than if it's, like, swords and dragons and magic and stuff. So I'm, I'm Man, really Man, you're an elf hater, aren't you? You're an elf hater. You just hate the sci-fi. <laughs> the, or you hate the, you hate the magic. hate the fantasy. Oh, dude. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, didn't know. I am not into oh. it. If you give me either category, I will go sci-fi every single time. All right, man, be that way. Whatevs. That's fine. <laughs> we'll work through it. We'll work through it. I mean, at least you're here so we can both like you have the fantasy stuff down and I have the sci-fi stuff down, I guess. Totally. Like uh like we said with our uh sexual advice column, we'll cover both the bases. Oh man. god. Covered on either side. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, that sounds like a pass on me, but we have more to talk about before the show is over, don't we, sir? Uh, we have a little bit of Q&A, and we actually did it a little bit different this time. For a few of the shows, um, for our listeners, we have had listener questions that we have answered, and this time brad uh very boldly asked a single question to our listeners and people were able to respond and the question that he asked was are you planning to pick up super mario run which is coming uh soon on mobile on december 15th which uh will be priced at ten dollars which is kind of a sticking point for people um so let's talk about what everybody said all right um First up, we had Rowan Carmichael, Link6616 on Twitter. He said, can I say I'll download the free part and decide then? But he's keen. The Rayman mobile platformers were good. And do you want to like discuss these or are we just going to read them off? Just read them off real quick. All right, cool. We'll read them off. We'll discuss at the end. Excellent, excellent. Okay, uh, Michael or Matt Cunningham, friend of the show and the Game Critics show, um, who is Final Max Storm on Twitter? He says uh, he does not care for touchscreen only gaming, and he has plenty of other things to play right now. Joshua Carpenter, Jay Scarp on Twitter says, "I think there's a free version or a demo. Assuming there is, I'll download that, try it, and go from there. Ten dollars is a touch high for an impulse buy." And Vor, um, whose Twitter handle is Vorunder, I hope I'm saying that right um says uh yes it's portable mario and i don't think ten dollars is a bad price i enjoy the whimsical worlds of the inn which i'm hoping he means nintendo in that (laughs) uh regular listener adam as realist uh, chimes in on this one and he says of course it looks neat i never miss playing a new mario game and someone who sent us a listener question before louis filetro did you ever hear if that's how you pronounce his name Dude, I asked him on Twitter, and he spelled it out for me, and I think that he said Filetro, but I don't know if that's correct. Okay. I thought – I I asked him for feedback on how I pronounced it last <laughs> time, and he didn't get to that episode yet, so uh, I may have still mangled it. I don't know, but it's it's Louis. Louis, yeah. Louis F. Louis F. Um, he that. says that he does not play games on iDevices anymore, um, so he does not have any interest in it, really. Uh, bad ombre Gabe <clears throat> what up Gabriel sleeper at 79 on Twitter says no I'm not into Nintendo or mobile games so unless this is some sort of game changer it's pretty uninteresting uh, and hops and heroes um, Twitter handle which I can get behind because I like beer uh, says I'm taking advantage of the demo first before committing and friend of the show Carlos Rodella at Onawa on Twitter says 
He's getting Artie's review to play it, and Artie is one of his characters that he does. He started a new YouTube thing where he uh, gets into character and does these reviews. So he says, uh, uh, yeah, I think everyone's going to be playing it. And that leads me into the question, Corey, are you going to be playing it? Uh, probably not, because I th- I've probably only mentioned about 6,000 times that I'm not really into Nintendo anymore. I'm not really into Mario. I'm not really into their first-party titles. So uh, I do have to say, though... Um, uh, bad ombre who said unless this is some sort of game changer it's pretty uninteresting well if we can count on Nintendo for anything it is absolutely not game changing anything because all they do is copy and paste their first party franchises onto their new consoles so I doubt this is going to be a game changer to be honest yeah I hear you man um, I am also not the biggest Nintendo fan I'm pretty burned out on all of their core franchises um, I mean I'm not a Nintendo hater, although I think a lot of people would say that I am. But, I mean, I plan to buy the Switch. I mean, I'm looking forward to that. I'm going to give them a shot with that. So I don't know how I can be a hater. I don't just, like, hate buy a console. But in terms of this, um, I don't like mobile games that rely on Twitch reflexes. I mean, I've been playing a lot more mobile lately. But everything that I like on mobile is either really turn-based or um, it's something that does not, like, require a lot of tapping. Something that you can just very... You know, take your time, take your, your, be very careful about the moves that you make. So I don't like Twitch games. I don't like games with a virtual um, D-pad. I don't like a lot of like quick reflex games. So that does not sound like a good combo. Mario and a touchscreen to me in my head does not seem like good times. And plus I'm just, I'm just not really into Mario. I mean, I saw videos of it and it's Mario running from left to right and it looks like Mario running from left to right. I mean, he's collecting coins. He's uh, doing spin jumps. He's hopping on turtles' heads. I mean, you know, it's it's fucking Mario on an iPhone. <laughs> I don't know why. I okay, like all right, I get it. Um, ten bucks. I mean, whatever. I mean, ten bucks. If it was a real good quality game, I would pay ten bucks because I pay ten bucks for indie games. I pay ten bucks for experimental titles on a, on a ps4 i would pay 10 bucks so i wouldn't necessarily balk at it being on mobile as long as it had good content and a lot of uh stuff to do but yeah man i just i kind of don't give a fuck so we'll see there's going to be two weeks where everybody's like totally like you know shooting their load and saying it's the greatest thing ever and then we'll see where it goes from there so yeah i had i wish i if i had thought about this sooner um i was just at an apple store like yesterday and i remember i was looking at their model iphones uh and super mario run is on the iphone and i thought for a second like maybe i should open this and see what it is like see if it's like an early demo that's like apple store exclusive or something and i did not because i didn't care and i totally should have so i could have like talked about it right now but uh whoops that was a missed opportunity wow you care so little you didn't even click to see if it was the game on that phone i didn't even care nope didn't even give it a click not even a finger tap Hmm. wow yeah sorry oh well uh well um cool so that'll wrap up listener questions um unless uh is there any more hate on nintendo you want to give before we move on brad no i think that's i think that's plenty of hate i'm sure we're (laughs) gonna get some email on that no we're good on the hate um, well, we're almost about to wrap up. Uh, we're running a little bit long today, too. But Brad has a big old announcement he wants to talk about before we uh, close this thing out. So, Brad, what is it? I don't even know. I'm dying to know what you're going to talk about. You're dying to know. Yes. Yeah, there's a really brief announcement. So as the uh, editor of GameCritics.com, uh, we're a long-established site, and we get people sending us codes all the time. And, in fact, we get more codes than we could even play. I, we've got about 
oh, I don't know, 20 or 25 um, active writers on the site. And even with that many people at the site, we get so many codes that we just can't, we just literally can't play them all. We can't use them all. So what I end up doing is I just kind of save them. And every once in a while, when I get a big pile of them, I just fucking give them away. Now, in the past, I would have trivia questions that I would ask, and then people would give me the answers. But you know what? It's a lot of fucking work, okay? <laughs> like, it takes so long. And the thing that always happened, too, was, like, I would get people debating me about whether I had the right answer Oh, jeez. Um, you know, and it's like, this is just in the spirit of fun. It's a giveaway. Nobody paid any money for anything. It was all just, you know, to have a good time. And it got really kind of irritating because I would have people like trying to like, you know, rules lawyer me and then people would harass me and then I would get it. Just, it just got to be kind of a pain. Right. So I was like, this is this is not working for me. So what I do is I just I get on Twitter and I tell everybody a, a time and a day and I just say, look, I got X amount of codes. And believe me, I've got <laughs> I have got ridiculous codes this time around. Ridiculous. More codes than I've ever had in the past. So I just get on Twitter and I just go, yo, here's the title. If you want it, say so. And the first person to respond is the one that gets it. Now, I will say, if I know you, if I know you're a regular reader of Game Critics, if I know you are a regular follower of me on Twitter, if you're someone I've interacted with and I know that you support Game Critics as a site, you support So Video Games, you support the Game Critics podcast, you are going to get preference over some rando who shows up out of nowhere, okay? And people are like, oh, that's not fair. I say I chimed in first. It doesn't matter. It's my contest. I can make up whatever rules I want, and I want to re uh, reward the people who are loyal to the Game Critics family of content. So I'm going to get on Twitter. I'm going to ask who wants it. First person to respond gets it. And if I know you, if I recognize you, you will get priority over someone who I don't recognize. So that's all there is to it. And believe it or not, even with me just saying, who wants this code? Here you go. It still takes forever and a day to give away all those codes. It takes a long, long time. So I'm planning on doing it this Sunday, December 18th, starting at about 8 p.m. Pacific. So if you want to be in on this, if you want a chance at getting some of these codes, follow me on Twitter. It's at Brad Galloway, B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y, all A's, no O's. Follow me. I mean, feel free to unfollow me afterwards. I don't care. I'm not doing this to gain followers. I'm just, I'm just telling you. <laughs> no, right? you, they have to They have to follow the podcast and Game Critics and like and retweet all of our tweets in no, order to no, get no, the no. codes. <laughs> none of that. I tried that once and it was like a total pain in the ass. No, no, no. None of that. None of that stuff. Follow me just so I can direct message you your codes if you win and then feel free to unfollow afterwards, whatever. But follow me and be watching your Twitter feed December 18th at about 8 p.m. Pacific and I'm going to be giving away codes literally for hours hours and hours and in fact i also have some hard copies to give away to uh, electronic arts was kind enough to donate uh 10 hard copies of the new plants vs zombies for ps4 Whoa. so i've got got hard copies i've got shit loads of games so please uh come aboard and take some of these off my hands and that's my announcement well that's uh that's pretty exciting um so is that going to be like right after we record our show next weekend or right before it Oh, God, you know, yeah, probably right after. I didn't even realize that. But, yes, you are correct. It'll be right after we record the next episode. Yeah. Oh, awesome. So then the week after, you can tell us all the horror stories about how terrible it was to give out the codes. Oh, uh, You know, most people are really awesome about it. And most people – but, you know, it kind of gets me, though, because sometimes I give somebody, like, a really awesome game, and they don't even say thanks. Like, they don't even just, like, oh, thank you. Like, some do. Most do. Most do. 
But some people are just like, they show up, take the code, and that's it. They don't even say thank you or thanks for doing this. I mean, not like I need like the adoration or anything, but just like common courtesy, you know? And just, it's kind of weird. But anyway, most people are really cool about it. I'm really happy to do it. I love supporting the people that support us. So it's just, you know, rather than these codes just being thrown away or just, you know, gathering electronic dust, why not give them to somebody who's going to enjoy them? That sounds like a very noble thing to do. Well, I'm a very noble kind of guy. And also, <laughs> listeners, if you're reading um, or listening uh, the codes, you don't even have to review them for us. You just get to play them however you want. Yeah, no shit. No, I do not want reviews. Do not send me <laughs> reviews. Just take them. Just take them and have fun. That's it. No no obligation. <laughs> cool. Well, uh, I'll be looking forward to hearing about that in a couple of weeks. Um, but I think uh, that's going to do it for our episode, uh, this installment of the So Video Games Podcast. Um so last couple of episodes have been running a little bit long. We're getting a little crazy, Brad, on time. Here we are. We're getting loosey-goosey. That's right. <laughs> but uh, as always, thank you, everybody, for listening. And if you have any thoughts, feedback, ideas, or anything else, um, if you have technical info, uh, critiques, stuff you want us to discuss, or just any Q&A questions otherwise, uh, we can be reached at sovideogamespodcast at gmail.com. We are also on Twitter at So Video Games, and I have both of those accounts uh, push notification to my phone personally. So if you send us anything, I see it almost immediately. Uh, and right I think on, right uh, I think that's that'll do it for this episode. I think that's going to do it. So goodbye from Brad, and bye from Corey. We will catch you guys next week. 